Hey Houston, Khan's prices are invincible. That means prices have been cut low, as in amazingly low, as in won't be beat. In fact, we're backing it up with our low price guarantee. Invincible prices on appliances, furniture, electronics, mattresses, and more. Not invincible enough for you? How about free next day delivery on appliances, TVs, and mattresses? And payment options for everyone, whether you have good credit or building. Visit Cons today and find out what invincible feels like. Boom! We are live! UFC Vegas 66. We're freaking live in the building. I'm with my man Jonathan here. How we doing, Mr. Three Piece Combo himself? What's going on, brother? Oh, we're feeling good. Last UFC of the year, so I'm a little bit depressed for the next month for sure. But um, definitely had a good night enjoying some of these fights. 100%. Again, I'm here with my, with my man, Jonathan Ronlacon. I'm Blake Schneiders. If you guys have missed us, uh, it's been quite a while since I had hosted a show. I was able to do last week's show, finally. It was fantastic. Dave Van Auken got to hop on. Thank you. Or I got to hop on. Thank you for Fight Bananas for allowing us to host the post-fight show. But uh, me and John, we're about to freaking kick this thing off. Vegas 262. Vegas 66. Jesus, there we go. Uh, last fight of the year. The Did we get it wrapped up the way you wanted it to? Did it go how you thought it would go? Um, do, are you bittersweet with the fact that the, finally the shows are ending? This is the last card of the year. Like, How do you feel about all this, John? Yeah, it definitely went how I thought it would go. I think the prelims set a good tone as far as all the fights are going to be really competitive. We saw guys like Manel Kopp. We saw guys like uh, Messel or Semmelsberger, you know, with a really good performance with a lot of knockdowns in the fight. So the prelims just showed a lot of showcase, a lot of up and coming fighters that we're going to be looking into in 2023. And then when it came to the main card, the start of the main card just started off with a bang. You know, we're going to get into the really the best fights of the night. But man, Drew Dober had a great performance. Mm -hmm. We had another great performance from Amir Abazi showing off the power in the flyweight division as well. So it all really led up to um, really two high stakes matchups with Armand and he was able to get the win in a beautiful, dominant manner. And then we were able to see a, a odd scorecard in the main event with Sean Strickland and Jared Cannon here. That's yeah. nothing new if you guys have been watching UFC or MMA overall in the last couple of weeks. With a weird little scorecard, it was really tough, honestly, to judge that to judge that fight. It was a lot of you know volume, body shots, a lot of patience between both guys. And defensively, both guys fought really well, right? Jared did take a little bit more shots to allow himself to land those power shots. But Sean Strickland was just really good moving as well. Jared did a great job with those low kicks and the shots of the body. So as far as the card was, as a whole, not as many bangers as I would want per se, but it was a satisfying end to the year. And I think we're going to really, really miss UFC for the next month. Well, I think when you take a look at uh, UFC 282, obviously, I think nine of the 12, uh, 10 of the 12 fights ended in knockouts or, or finishes. So we had a action-packed card for the last pay-per-view event of the year, which that's only, I mean, that can only be welcomed because obviously when you get finish after finish after finish, that's what the fans love. But then you kind of flip it over on its head onto the actual last card of the year. And really, I mean, the first one, two, three, four, five, I think, there was only two finishes, one finish on the undercard, and then the uh, main card started with four finishes, TKO, 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 TKO. Um, so it was kind of flipped back on its head where, where the main card, last card, uh, ended with two. I think most fans would say they were, dis they were disappointing. They were, dis they were 
maybe not disappointing fights. They were odd decisions where people weren't really sure, hey, did Patty Pimblett win that fight? Because I think we all watched the same fight here. Did the – what was um, Yon versus Ankalaev a split? I don't know. That was – it was one of those where, like, I, I know what I just watched, but I don't know if the judges know what we just watched. So uh, this this fight, I think, uh, really, we'll just start off with the, the main card event, Jaron Kennedy versus Sean Strickland, number three versus number seven in the middleweight division. Um, I'm sorry, light heavyweight division. No, middleweight division. I'm no, sorry. Wait, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I, I think I might have scored that a little different. Um, it was definitely a close fight. It, it wasn't the uh, knockout power that I think some of us thought it was going to be. I, I actually was favoring Cannoneer in the beginning of the fight. I thought he was going to get the knockout tonight over Strickland. He has more power. He's shown it previously in the past. Wasn't able to quite land it, and that's been one of the tales of his fights, the last two and three fights, that he hasn't quite pushed the pace like we thought he would, especially for somebody who we know for a fact has power. He's one of only two fighters ever uh, who has three knockouts in three separate divisions, the other one being, do we know? Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, exactly. See, John came with the stuff, baby. That's what I like. Came prepared this week. Um, so we know he's got knockout power. Strickland obviously had a six fight win streak, uh, ended up running into the man himself, Michelle Pereira, before he went up against Adesanya and eventually took the belt. So you can't really, Um, Alex Pereira, (laughs) you said Michelle Pereira. (laughs) Hey, my bad, my bad. Alex Pereira. You're right. You're right. Two Pereiras. Only one of them's Alex, uh, went up against Alex Pereira in the championship, ended up taking the belt. Can't really get mad at Strickland for that because he caught him with the left hook when he was really unpolished in the UFC, so nobody really knew quite what he was great at. I think people are starting to catch on very quickly for that. Um, how did you see this fight, and what was your end of the – I mean, did, did the judging go the way you thought it would go, or do you think that it was maybe a Strickland? Um, it was obviously given to Cannoneer, unanimous decision, but um, I thought it was kind of a toss-up, so I want to know your opinion on that. Yeah, so just looking at my notes, you know, in the round one, you were looking at – Sean, round one and round two really was Jared Cannonier backing up Sean Strickland. And Sean wasn't throwing that much volume. He was just being more elusive. Um, A lot of low kicks, you know, a lot of um, good punches in the clinch. But it felt like it was just both guys really taking their time to download the information. So those first two rounds just overall were really hard to score. I even wrote both rounds could have gone either way, but I just gave it to Jared based on the impact of those leg kicks. I felt like those leg kicks were probably the most damaging things of those first couple of rounds. Um, and then the volume as well. He wasn't landing a lot of it, but he was still throwing a lot to the body. And as that fight went on, he continued to invest in the body a little bit more. So uh, we saw Jared able to do that. Um, but like I said, <laughs> I have literally written, I can't even judge TBH because it was so hard to judge because Jared was getting, as the fight go to, went on, Sean Strickland was starting to land a little bit more. He was starting to build off that jab. It wasn't just a jab anymore. He was throwing two or three, but on behind that, Jared was also landing the power shots. So you would see Jared, you know, land a, a nice little three-two combination. But Sean Strickland really had good durability, and then would just go right back into it. So it was really, really hard to score on this fight. I think when you look at this fight versus um, the Ankalaya versus Jan Blahovic, and then the Patty Plimbit versus Jared Gordon, this fight I don't really think you can say was judged terribly because it really could have gone yeah. either way for for each round. Like it was really hard. Maybe outside of two outside of two rounds that were a little bit more solid to score, that 
it could have been judged because all the judges scorecards, I think Paul Felder said this, none of the rounds were unanimous. All of the judges had the rounds different for each fighter. So it's not like they even saw one round unanimously for either guy. So I, I see how you yeah. can be a little bit upset with the judging for this one, but I don't think this is a robbery by any chance. I think Jared did enough to win the fight. And if Sean would have got the nod here, I could have saw what he would have done right as far as the elusiveness, landing the effective jabs and the volume. So I think Jared, they got it right with Jared, but I wouldn't have been upset with with uh, Strickland either. Yeah, and, and I would definitely by no means call this a robbery. I think I think UFC 282, clearly, I think some people felt very heavily one way or the other. Don't know what you thought. Um, personally, I thought Patty, as much as I love him as a fighter and as a personality, I think Jared Gordon won that fight. Um, even if you're, if you're talking about that third round and if you really want to say he just kind of subdued him, um, then you go into the Ankalaya of Jan Blahowitz fight. That one, I thought Jan actually dealt the most damage. And then the last, in the first three rounds, and then the last two rounds, Ankalaya really subdued Blahowitz, but I didn't think that overtook the damage that Blahowitz had done the first three rounds. Again, that one I'm not as much uh, uh, worried about. It sucks because it was a split decision for a title fight, left the, uh, the, the light heavyweight title open. Um, but then you talk about this fight. I don't think by this, uh, by any means, was this a robbery. I, I just think it was one of those where it was like, it was such a toss up. It really could have gone either way. And like you said, um, looking at the scorecards now, uh, Saldi Amato, um, Derek Cleary, and uh, Junchiri Kamijo, nobody had a unanimous. Nobody had a unanimous round. So the judging was all over the place, which means everybody felt a little differently. I know that's been a hot topic lately in the UFC with making sure to nail down judging criteria. Um, and, and not that this really – I don't think that this necessarily plays a part in it, but the UFC did come out and start to say uh, they did issue a, a new um, arrangement where you, you don't go uh, as a judge – you do not go from one fight to the next fight in the same two-day span or the same day span. Um, they have now kind of negated that. They're going to get fresh judges for every fight. At least that's what they're they're claiming they're going to do. Um, I don't know how much that's really going to help, you know. Uh, but uh, for for the main event, uh, I think it was nice. You know, you kind of look at the future of since Cannoneer won, what – what do you do now? The light heavyweight division is is really kind of all over the place. Um, you know, obviously, Alex – I'm sorry, the middleweight division. I keep mixing those up. The middleweight division is all over the place right now. You have Alex Pereira as the champion. I assume the UFC is going to make that rematch with him and Israel. Um, Jared obviously just fought Sean. Derek Brunson. Like, where, where do you go now when if you're – Jared Cannonier. I mean, I, I don't believe they're going to give him the next title shot. Is he just kind of waiting for after the Izzy uh, Pereira fight? I mean, where, where does this really put him? And then what's next for Sean Strickland? So looking at for, for Jared Cannonier, right? He was talking about potentially fighting Robert Whitaker again after, you know, Whitaker and Paulo Costa goes down. Obviously, that happens about two months from now. That's going to happen February 11th. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight because I do believe that Rob broke um, Cannoneer's uh, arm in that fight. So he wasn't able to throw it as much in that three-round fight. So I would be interested to see a three-round rematch and, and see how that goes as well. But I do think, honestly, if Rob wins against Costa, he deserves next up versus uh, the winner of, of both these guys. I mean, Rob is 
clearly, you know, cleared out himself as the next top guy. He's kind of like Max Holloway, the division, and, you know, just cleared it out. So I do think if he beats Carlo Costa, he deserves another crack at the top there. Um, but just looking at the other guys, I mean, Marvin Vittori is maybe one of those guys you could put him, but what does that do for, for Jared as much, right? That doesn't yeah. do a lot for Jared. So I think Jared waits for the winner of Rob and Paulo, and maybe they see what happens there. Uh, or maybe if the rematch between Adesanya and, and Pereira gets made, you wait to see who the loser of that fight is. He fights the loser in a number one contender match. So I can see that being a possibility there. Um, and for Sean Strickland, you know, the last guy that he's won against um, and in the middleweight division is now ranked number 10, right? Jack Manson is sitting down there um, at number 10. So he really doesn't have a win over any of these guys, top nine and up. I'd like to see him try a guy like Roman Delize, defend his ranking, right? A strong grappler who's kind of making his way up. Um, and I, I think that Sean hasn't really necessarily fought a great grappler so far yet. He's fought a lot of strikers, but he has the wrestling chops as well. But I do think somebody like Roman is just absolutely monstrous. Uh, but I think since taking a loss, he should fight somebody that's a little bit lower than him in the rankings. And I think Roman is that guy. I could see Roman. I could also see if they really, like, if they just wanted to push the uh, stardom of Duplessis, I could see them maybe being like, hey, Sean. You're a striker. Duplessis is a little bit of both. He can definitely wrestle you on the ground. He can definitely strike with you. We'll see if we can get you guys together. And that way, if, let's say, Duplessis wins, catapults him because obviously he's beating somebody higher than Sean Strickland. Um, I can also see, I mean, the the Cannoneer versus – or not. I'm sorry, not the Cannoneer, but the, uh, um, the, the Robert Whitaker fight. Let's say that – Pereira wins, Izzy loses in the rematch. If they do decide to, I'm assuming that is what they're going to do. Um, it has not officially been on the books yet. But um, would this be Robert Whitaker's final chance at the belt? Because he obviously can't get by Izzy. But maybe there's a chink in the armor of Perea that we not that that we haven't seen, and Robert's able to get in there. Is this going to be the last chance that Robert really has to kind of? attack that belt for the next year maybe year and a half or is it i mean is it a far and above Pereira is just a better fighter i mean we haven't seen these guys fight obviously we've seen robert whitaker the reaper and izzy fight multiple times so where does that kind of leave robert and and do you think he has a better chance versus one of the other oh i absolutely do think he has a much better chance against alex Pereira. like given the matchups that alex has gotten in the ufc he really hasn't gotten tested on the ground that much. I mean, Sean Strickland, I can't give you, I mean, Bruno Silva is the guy he fought before Sean Strickland. And then Israel Adesanya, his third fight, he's fighting for the belt in the UFC, like essentially in the UFC. So he's coming in, he hasn't really fought that many strikers or uh, that many grapplers. So not that Robert Whitaker is a grappler per se, but he is a pure mixed martial artist. He yes. is able to mix the martial arts really, really well use the striking to set up the grappling and then also use the grappling to set up the striking we've seen him go toe-to-toe with strikers like in his last fight out he was able to go five rounds without Asanya. of course before that he got knocked out um in the fight with heavy hitters like um um blanking on his name yo romero right he was able to even though he got hurt he was able to last in those fights he's going up against another heavy hitter on paulo costa and if he's able to ground paulo costa and win this fight I do think that uh, Alex Pereira versus Robert Whitaker gives Robert a much better chance than him versus Adesanya. And as far as this being the last shot, I don't know if it's the last shot, but there is a couple of younger, hungry talent coming up in the middleweight division 
And as Robert Whitaker gets a little bit older and he is a little bit smaller guy in that middleweight division, I do see it being a little bit harder for him to continue to be as use that speed in that division that helps, you know, guys that really favor power. Well, and I think when you look at, you know, there's two guys right now that, in my opinion, are, are really in the stall position. Um, I think Marvin, Marvin Vittori is still on the rise. Jared Cannonier is really kind of stuck in that position where he's like, okay, I've been close to the top. I've been top five. I really just need a title shot. I don't think that's going to happen the next, the, the next fight he gets. Um, but hopefully the fight after that can propel him there. You look at somebody like uh, Robert Whitaker and you look at a guy like Paulo Costa. In my opinion, Paulo Costa, even though he is up there, he's still to me just – he hasn't proven necessarily that he's truly a top five and really even a top ten. Um, and Robert Whitaker is one of those guys where he's clearly a top 10 guy, but he isn't going to be a top guy unless this next re- uh, revolt rotation of, of UFC champs. Like, let's say he does get the, a chance to actually fight uh, uh, Alex Pereira. I think that's a solid matchup for Whitaker because I think he'll choose to use his wrestling, like you said, his grappling, his, his actual array of mixed martial arts. But there's a couple of guys there that are just kind of – stuck in this spot where the the UFC is not really sure what they want to do with them. And um, you've got up and coming guys. You've got Duplessis. Um, You've got, I mean, you got Chris Curtis coming up. Obviously Darren Till has taken a huge hit. So he's really not in it. You have Imabov. So, uh, you know, and and hell, who do we hear tonight? Um, Was it Ola, 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 McCall Olajacek called out Chris Curtis. I love to see something like that. He said, dude, I'm going to take a leap above, just call out somebody that I think is good and he's a top 15 fighter. So uh, it's just, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that middleweight division right now, because I think there's a couple questions with the middleweight and the light heavyweight right now, when you look at it uh, across the board. Um, Going on to the, uh, the co-main of the evening, we have Armand Sukert, uh, Tarsukian and uh, Demir Ismagolov. Um, what, what did you think of that fight? I thought it was a good fight. It was a great uh, exhibition of grappling. You had a number nine against the number 12. Um, I think it started hot and then kind of uh, petered as the fight went on. Good Again, two guys that are very good at grappling. But, uh, I mean, Armand Tarsukian has clearly proven he is somebody to be messed with or not mess with, depending on who you are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to start off with the fact that he fought Islam on short notice in yes. his UFC debut and probably gave him the toughest fight in Islam's entire you know, MMA career. 100%. So that's the that's just the kind of fighter or raw talent that, um, that Armand Sarukian has, right? That's the raw talent that he has. But on top of that, he's been able to start honing his skills, right? I agree with him with what he said in his post-fight comments, saying that he believes he's won seven in a row. I don't think he won- lost that fight against uh, Gamrot. I do think he. I-, I think he definitely won that fight. Like I watched it back this week, looking trying to lead up into this fight. I scored it for Armand again, and his ability to not only like grapple what we saw tonight, but he has a wide array of kicks. And he's able to set up his, like, use his kicks to set up a lot of things as well. His movement is really good. And what's something he does really, really good, his right hand is always up to that cheek. You will rarely ever see that right hand drop, whether he's throwing a kick or anything. He keeps that right hand up all the time. 
And tonight we saw with a guy who was coming in on an was it 18 or 19 fight win streak and has knockout power. He was able to ground him. So now he's looking for a guy in the top five, right? I mean, Justin Gaethje sounds like a fun matchup to me. Somebody who has that power, right? Lost two out of three. The last, you know, win he had was against Michael Chandler, but coming off a loss against uh, Charles Oliveira. And then obviously before that, the great Habib. But um, I would like to see that matchup. I think that's a good matchup for uh, Armand. But like you said, just going back to the fight as a whole, it did taper off, right? It was kind of a grappling fest. You know, he was just kind of trying to ride him out. But something that he did, I think, kind of was able to do better. In the first round, the takedown defense was absolutely phenomenal. He wasn't really able to take him down. Yeah. Second round, he was able to take him down and start to get on the back. Third round, he got him down, was able to get on the back and start threatening the choke. So that was something that we saw develop that he was able to mix up the types of takedowns that he was going to in throughout the rounds. And I think it was Dominic Cruz that mentioned, you know, he went from a single leg to a trip in the third round because he had to get creative with the way he was taking him down. And I think that creativity in the takedown game, and not only that, in the ability to get out of a mount position in the first round and just buck that off real quick is something that we can see that was, he's going to be able to use into into attack that top five in the division. Again, I'm here with my co-host, John Ramlakan, and I want to give a quick shout out to MMA Shark, MMA Shark. Paul over there at MMA Shark does a fantastic job of just giving you guys picks, giving you guys previews, heads up for each week for the fights. Great guy to follow, MMA Shark, big, big fan of them. Uh, always a great partner with Fight Banana. So I want to give a, a big shout out to Paul there. Um, John, when we go to the, you know, when we started this card off, um, one of my favorite fights, I think, of the evening, because uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump down here before we get back to the main card here, was uh, David Dvorak versus uh, uh, Manel Kopp. And when you watch, when you go back and watch that fight, again, just like we had with, uh, just like we had with Armand, and Demir, it was a nine versus twelve in the featherweight division. That, in my opinion, and we're going to get to the the uh, uh, performances and the the awards for the evening that I think you and me want to go with. But in my opinion, Dvorak versus uh, versus Cop was one of the best fights of the evening, and it was a back and forth all night. Manel looked fantastic. David looked fantastic. Um, it, it kind of came down to that third round and you really didn't, weren't sure who was going to get, I mean, a couple times you thought Manel was going to get the finish. It looked like he had the, uh, the Kimura early that did some damage to Dvorak, but didn't end up uh, hindering him as much as we thought. Cause he was able to bounce back in the second, third round. I mean, what was your, what was your takeaway from that fight? And, um, is that up there in your conversations for, uh, either fight or performance of the evening? Yeah, it's definitely top three. I have to like say it was top three most fun fight to watch. Um, Manel Cobb, what a showman, right? Crossing him up like Allen Iverson, like Paul Felder said, right? The hands behind the back, everything. I loved what he was doing, and I love to see that in the sport. I think in a sport where, you know, we see a lot of violence, I think it's good to have the guys have, you know, show a little bit of fun. And that's why guys like Kevin Holland are so loved in this sport, right? Because when you have a little bit of that showmanship and you're able to back it up with now three straight wins like Manel Cop, that's what people want to see is, okay, you have the showmanship, you have the ability to talk, and now you can back it up. And something as well um, that he was able to do, uh, man, like you said, that Kimura, that was insane. I thought he was going to break that arm. I thought I, thought I was going to see something. I didn't want to see in the like to begin the night. So that was really good. And then I think uh, in the second round, he drops him as well. He he dropped Dvorak as well in that yeah. second round. 
that's, so, that's three straight fights with a knockdown for for, for Manel Cobb. And you know, after coming in from Ryzen, and uh, I believe he came in from Ryzen, right? And and coming in, and he had a big, you know. I think he fought Pantoja in his first fight, right? There was a lot of expectations coming in for him. He wanted to fight for the title immediately. I believe he missed weight for his first fight as well, but he was able he's now able to kind of come back and make those uh make those changes and adjust to the UFC. He was very gun shy coming into the UFC and we still see that counterfighting style in this one, but he was able to put it together a lot better tonight. Three straight wins. You know, like you said, he's 12. He just beat the number nine ranked guy, cracking the top 10. I'd love to see him fight somebody in that maybe top six to eight range. Now he was actually supposed to fight Pantoja. It got canceled. So it didn't Mm. actually end up panning out. Um, But then the next three fights he had uh, two of the next three and at least last year in 2021, um, was a decisions first Nikolau and then uh, uh, two KOs over um, Zumagulov and Osborne. So, I mean, he he clearly has knockout power, and we saw what he was able to do today. We thought I thought he was going to get the knockout um, versus David today. Good chin on David. I mean, for able for one being able to come back after that Kimura because it, I swear, me and you both were sitting there like that arm almost could have been broken. And the fact that, yes, it clearly looked like it hurt him when he went to the corner, when he went to the stool, sat down, talked to his trainers, came back in the next round. He was, he was holding it, but he was still able to say, you know what, screw it, we're going to overcome this, get out and start doing a dogfight. I mean, those two guys, in my opinion, put on one of the best fights of the evening, and it was the second fight of the night. That's what really kind of set the tone for this card for me because I, I think if that hadn't happened, um, it would have been – I think it would have been a subpar card. Um, I obviously I don't think anybody thought this was going to be one of the greatest cards of the year, and I'm not trying to downplay anybody that, that fought on this. It was just it was the end of the year. Really, they put all their chips into 282, um, so they did what they could with this. But I thought all the fighters really came out tonight and at least gave the people a show. And even though there was a bunch of decisions on the card, I thought overall they they put on a show. You know, I, I thought they at least gave some entertainment value, whether it was in the ring or after the ring in the interview. No, I 100% agree with you. I mean, like you said, the, the beginning fight, Moroza versus Musin, it was a little bit slower, but it started to warm up in that cop fight. Um, and then the Renat Fakhradinov uh, fight versus Brian Battle, just the yes. damage he was able to put on top of him as well. Just, dude, this guy is potentially, he's 20 and 1 now. He is going to be an absolute threat in the welterweight division. Like he was able to control someone just with so much ease. And, you know, I think that this is a guy that you're going to want to really watch out for in 2023, um, along with guys like obviously like Shavkat rising up the ranks, right? This is one of those next guys. And then you want to talk about um, Rafa Garcia versus Maheshate, the elbow that he landed. And then Garcia after the elbow, was able to get, you know, just just win the fight. Obviously, it was really cosmetic. But after the fight, something I learned is it took the UFC doctors two hours to close it because it was actually a cut artery on top of his head. So it took the doctors two hours to stop the bleeding from Garcia's head uh, after that fight. So amazing performance by him. You wanted to say something? Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you and, you and I were immediately on the – we were texting through Instagram before we hopped on the, on the cast. But you and I were like, holy shit, that was – that I've never seen as much blood from a single cut. I mean, like, it'd be one thing if the guy was getting his ass beat the entire fight. No, it was just the one elbow just sliced him wide open. And Garcia, 
credit to him, said, that don't matter. That don't change my game plan. And he really manhandled and was able to grapple uh, Mahashante the entire rest of the fight. And really coming into it, I had my odds on Mahashante. Um, I thought he was lengthier. I thought he was bigger. I thought he was going to be able to land some some explosive uh, dynamic striking. Not the case. Garcia had a game plan. He executed it round one, two, and three, even though he was covered in, uh, you know, he looked like Carrie from the scary movie Carrie. Like, dude, he was covered in blood. And at the end of the fight, Mahashante, I'm not even sure if Mahashante was cut at all, but he was covered in blood too. Like you said, I, I wasn't sure where the blood was coming from at the end. Like if there was a couple cuts on Mahashate. Um, there was a little bit of uh, bad blood after that fight, though. They were yeah. getting in each other's face. They got into it. I didn't. I couldn't hear. Uh, so the stream that I was watching, it doesn't actually cut to commercial. So you can hear them uh, essentially throughout the fight talking. I couldn't quite hear what they said. Were you able to make out what they said to each other? No, I was watching the same one as well, but I wasn't able to make out what they were saying. But I mean, there's a language barrier there as well. So I'm not sure what they're, yeah. they would be saying. I'm not sure if it was, you know, maybe they just felt like they had more in the tank. Um, but man, I think maybe when one of the things coming into this fight is that Mahashate missed weight, right? So in the first yeah. round, he was moving really well and he was really just able to land the good shots. And then as the fight went on, we see him slow down. And like we saw, Garcia was just able to manhandling when it, manhandle him when it came to the grappling. So I think that potentially could have played into things. I do think as a I think 23-year-old, Mahashate has a lot of lot of time to develop those skills. And he has, I think, a bright future for him. Uh, but what a win for Garcia. But like you said, man, this entire card, I mean, Semmelsberger versus Matthews, what toughness showed by Matthews, what precision showed by Semmelsberger. Yeah. And then leading up to the main card, I mean, a couple of KOs in a row. Um, yeah, it was, it was, like you said, it wasn't necessarily a flashy card, but it was a lot of really good, solid fights. And I really thoroughly enjoyed the entire night. They all were good fights. There really yeah. weren't many sleepers. No, there really wasn't. And I thought, uh, I mean, if you go back to the Matthews and, and uh, Semmelsberger fight, I mean, Semmelsberger had three knockdowns, but Jake Matthews, I mean, what a chin on the on the, the Celtic warrior himself, dude. I mean, he was able to keep getting back up, keep getting back up. And if you, if you listen to the uh, post-fight interview from Matthew Semmelsberger, he even said, he's like, that's exactly what I expected. I did not expect me to knock him out. I thought these were going to be two, you know, Nordic Vikings going to yep. the whole time. And I thought that was hilarious because if you look at both of them, they, that's exactly what they look like is, is the Vikings, you know what I mean? <laughs> two leaders of their tribes just going back and forth in a war. I mean, not merely back and forth because uh, Semmelsberger's tribe would have definitely gone and pillaged yeah. the village of Matthew's tribe. <laughs> but um, but Semmelsberger <laughs> definitely put on a, they both put on a war. Um, shout out to Matthews though, because he was able to rock him a little bit and land some damaging yeah. shots even after getting dropped. So shout out to Matthews as well. I mean, to be able to come back and put somebody, not get a knockdown, but at least be able to get a, what, what was considered in my book, two stuns uh, on Semmelsberger after he had been knocked down and stunned three times. That just shows you, one, that, that that's a warrior. Two, they're both warriors. Three, uh, the chin on both of these guys. And I'd love to see I'd love to see that fight run back sometime. You know, obviously not next. But eventually, you know, both these guys are still relatively young in their, in their careers. So, uh, and Jake Matthews has less experience, but he's been in the league longer, which I think is funny. Um, you know, that just goes to show you that some guys – 
get right after it. And some guys take a little bit longer to, to kind of develop and, and choose what they want to do in the sport. But um, I would love to see that fight ran back, you know, somewhere down the line as, as maybe the, uh, the opener or the, you know, the, the, the main prelim or the opener to a main card on yeah. something. Cause that would just be, again, you're going, you're going power on power. Somebody's wanting to knock somebody out, especially after coming off that fight, that'd be interesting to go back and look at. But um, now we're going to get to uh, a fight that I thought was really good. In a fight that kind of started off with a bang was Saeed versus Saeed. We, we have Nurmagomedov versus uh, Kakramanov, and it was a 16 and 2 versus a 10 and 2. So a little bit more experience on uh, Nurmagomedov's part, but still only two losses between the, or four losses, I guess, between the two of them, two and two on each side. Um, Saeed Nurmagomedov was able to uh, officially get the, the guillotine finish for the bantamweight type, for the bantamweight fight. But I thought that was a great fight. Just if you were if you were a fan of grappling, if you were a fan of intense wrestling, judo, um, uh, you know, jujitsu, it was a lot of wrestling and judo. But I thought that was a really fun fight to watch. If you are not just a casual and you actually enjoy the grappling side of the fights, I think this is this was one of those fights where even if you're a casual, this like the grappling exchanges were were exciting yeah. enough that you would be enjoying it right this isn't where you know it, obviously it was very one-sided when it came to the grappling because it was going sided in Kakram and Kakramanov's side he was dominating the exchanges like, yes but the problem was he was going to the well a little bit too much and just trying to overexert in his wrestling exchanges and I think once he overexerted Saeed was able to kind of just pick one of the holes when while he got sloppy and like you said apply that guillotine and really pull it out of nowhere. There wasn't one minute in this fight where I thought Nurmagomedov was really winning or dominating until yeah. he pulled that guillotine. So it was really um, one of the comebacks of the night, if you know, we, before we get to maybe Drew Dober a little bit later, but one of the best comebacks of the night, you know, early in the in, in the fight. So uh, shout out to Nurm Nurmagomedov. I thought it was a just a crazy ability to weather weather the storm and still get his keep his bearings and get a finish so it just shows the skill that he has and the durability durability that he has as well but that was also a phenomenal fight when it came to the grappling exchanges yeah guys if you want to i see a couple people watching go ahead and comment on the side we'll try to get to your questions uh as fast as we can or if we can um again talking to my partner john here but um i thought that was one where Nurmagomedov he wasn't dominating at all in the grappling, but he was being very elusive and slippery. He, he was staying just enough out of harm's way to where he wasn't getting plastered. He wasn't getting manhandled. Yeah, he was obviously getting controlled. He was going to give up control time. But in my opinion, I, I think that showed that he was constantly, even because it, it happened in the third round, constantly looking for a chink in the armor, constantly looking for a, a weak spot where he could go ahead give give a, a submission attempt and, and and that just goes to show I think some of his persistence because like you said I didn't really see a point where he was winning that fight or even dominating in the grappling side. So the fact that he was like okay I'll wait I'll wait I'll wait okay now and then he attacked it perfectly was able to cinch it up get the guillotine finished for the submission you know that it was just it was just impressive especially when somebody else was dominating you for the whole fight. Yeah, it, it just literally my notes say wow because I was just blown out of like what happened. It, it says wow, Saeed catches Kakramanov, but I mean I guess they're both named Saeed. Um, but like you said, it just from going from getting just controlled completely 
to getting the submission. I think this just showed uh, how good of a fighter he is. And I think, you know, at 18 and or yeah, 17 and two now, he's just one of these guys. I mean, like I said, the undercard of this of this last final card of the year is just really prepping you to show you a couple of the guys that really can break out in 2020. Yes, 100 percent. Well, and that takes us kind of to the, to the last fight of the uh, of the undercard, at least. I know we've covered almost all of it at, at this point, but um, Cheyenne Bias versus Corey McKenna, um, pretty much a total grappling match between those two ladies. And and I thought it was an interesting match. Uh, ended up being 29-28 for Corey. Uh, unanimous decision, she got the win. But um, I thought I thought it was pretty evenly matched. I, I actually thought Cheyenne, it, when, it, when it came to the fight beforehand, um, I thought she was going to be able to land a lot more, but Corey was able to kind of subdue her, use proper grappling. Again, nothing, nothing of that fight stuck out to me majorly as far as oh, this person absolutely dominated, but it was one of those where it was a solid matchup for these two ladies, and I thought they were pretty decently matched for each other. Um, obviously, Corey gets the win at the end, but but what was your what was your kind of takeaway from the uh, the final prelim of the evening? Yeah, uh, like you said, it was just a purely mostly a grappling exchange, right? The first round was where we saw most of the striking. I mean, yeah. um, 17 for 45 for, for Cheyenne and then 16 for 61 when it comes to the significant strikes for Corey McKenna. But when it came to later in the fight, um, McKenna really, or yeah, McKenna took it to the ground and was just able to get the control. And that's yeah. what wanted the fight. And I think this showed a little bit of the fight IQ of her as well because, I mean, they talked about on the booth that she wanted to be an MM, MMA fighter since she was 13. She has the shortest reach in the division. So for her to overcome um, the of that reach disadvantage against the opponent, take her to the ground, and not only that, an opponent that has a little bit more experience, right? Somebody that's a little bit more old, so I was able to just stay a little bit longer for you. Um, I think that it just showed that she was able to kind of be able to build up against that fight. Um, nothing, anything spectacular, but just showed who is the better fighter out of the two. Yeah, no, I, I thought, um, I thought, again, it was maybe <laughs> – and this is no disrespect to those two at all. It was actually probably the least exciting of that of the whole prelims, which I thought the prelims were some of the most exciting, um, just because of uh, each one ended in a decision, but it wasn't. None of them were really boring fights, and even that one was even the advisors McKenna wasn't a boring fight. It was just maybe the least active of all of the other fights from all the from all the action that we did get to see. Um, but I really I thought this was a great. Uh, just like you pointed out, John, it was a great showing of what is to come for some of these up-and-comers in the UFC. You've got Manel Kopp, who, again, those guys, they aren't up-and-comers. They're already solidified. They're already there. Uh, David Vorak. Then you got Brian Battle, who has, I mean, uh, ultimate fighter, comes in versus a guy like Renat, and Renat just, I mean, Renat blew me away. He looked so dominant. For somebody who was actually pulling for battle in the fight, um, I mean, he he absolutely mauled Ryan Battle, and and, and good good on Battle for not um, you know getting caught in a position where he had to tap or give up. But I, I think even he at the end of the day was like, okay, I've got some I got some things to work on because if this guy's in my division, it's it's truly going to be an issue. And if you really look at um, that division as a whole with the welterweights, I mean. Renat's going to be going up against guys like, I mean, 
Usman, Covington, Edwards, Chamaya, Bilal, Burns. I, I mean, Jeff Neal, Vicente Luque, Shavkat Ramana. I mean, like, he's got hell Magni, and that's a 12. Uh, Chess at 13. I got this, this division, the welterweight division is entirely packed full with, with wrestlers and grapplers and guys who can do the same thing. He did show that he's got some power, but it'll be, um, It'll be interesting to see how quickly he can rise through those ranks because he looked extremely dominant. Yeah, I mean, looking at the numbers, like seven takedowns, and that doesn't really even tell the full story, but the way he was able to ragdoll Brian Battle. Um, I want to give a shout-out to that cut man as well because uh, he was able to cut Battle in that first round right on that, literally right on the eyebrow, yeah. and for, he was able to keep it closed. So shout-out to cut yeah. man. Don't know how that happened because uh, clearly it didn't happen in any of the other fights, but that man just knew exactly where to stick that Vaseline and pinch it close. <laughs> and it ended up working out perfectly. But, man, um, like I said, Fakhrutinov, man, he is probably – he's got next in this division, right? He's one of those guys that I'm going to put with, like, the Shavkat Rachmanovs that just got next in this division because his grappling is insane. And, you know, he is um, just one of the most – technically you no know, when it comes to the wrestling just really good to do that and then also give a shout out to brian battle right he took this fight on short notice you know he didn't have to do this as well so you know he came up against the guy and he was you know he ran into a wall but at least this is a learning experience for him as well well and at the end of the day i don't think it hurt battle's stock i i truly think that this is going to be something that actually helps him in the long run yeah he took the loss but he also took the loss against somebody who also showed out and i think uh uh, it really kind of put the fans on notice for for who uh, Renat was. And then it also made Brian Battle realize, hey, I've got things to work on. We need to get back in the lab. And it's going to make him a better fighter at the end of the day. I don't believe that hurt, this hurt his stock at all. And I think it, if anybody looks at it like, oh, he, his rise has kind of faltered. No, no, no. That, that, that's just not – that's just what I think. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't no, think – I wholeheartedly agree. I think it's, you know – it's too early in that in his career for yeah. us to say, based off one fight of a guy who has just one loss on his career, hey, he's not he doesn't have it right. He doesn't have he can't be yeah. a top he can't be a, a ranked fighter in this division. He's still really young, you know. We have to give a shout out just for the body transformation that he was able to do right from the beginning of the of his uh, UFC career. He had a lot more body weight, and now he just he's showing that he's being a little more disciplined, able to cut that body weight down and be a lot more just learning to how to manage his nutrition a lot better too. Um, yeah. But man, like I said, you're running up against a wall, a guy who just has one loss. It's going to be tough, but like you said, doesn't really drop the stock of Brian Battle. Now I want to get into kind of the bread and butter, the opening of the main card. Um, we had Cody Brundage versus Michael Alawa Jacek and Earl Ellen. <laughs> he might have the most hard name on this entire list. Ola Jacek. Ola, it's Ola Jacek, but it's basically like if you're trying to spell Mike Shashevsky, but if you look at how Shashevsky's spelled, that's not even remotely. No, it doesn't make any sense the way it's spelled. Um, but uh, we call Ola Jacek, and a lot, they were really talking about Brundage in the beginning. He's a two-time national qualifier in wrestling for college. Um, and Ola Jacek came in and put him down on the ground and then hit the ground and pound real heavy. And Immediately. I mean, it was, it was, I looked away for one second to try to take some notes and I looked back and it was over. So I had to watch the replay, but I was like, what just happened? 
what just happened? I was just watching this fight. It was over. And I blinked. Yeah, so essentially, I mean, like you said, Brundon was able to get three takedowns in the fight, right? Yeah. But he got over-aggressive. He got reversed. He passed the guard right into side control. And as he was passing into side control, he landed like a little just sweeping hook on that just caught him. It seemed like it caught him right on the chin, but it hurt Brian Battle right away. And that power, man, Ola Jacek has some power off the top. So for him to land that, just – I'm sorry? I'm sorry. You mean Cody? No. You said, you said Brian Battle. My bad. No, no, no. You're, we're t- – yeah, Ola Jacek. I said Ola Jacek. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ola Jacek has power off the top. Yeah, I might have missed that. I might have said Cody, but my bad about that. But Ola Jacek has that power off the top. But just for him to be able to pass the guard and land that strike at the same time was something um, that was really nice because you usually see guys have to separate it, right? He has to pass the guard, then get into those strikes. But for him yeah. to show the ability to control and land that ground and pound at the same time was just something that was very impressive on his end. Well, and it was one of those that uh, in a in a weird in a weird uh, connection. It reminded me of the time that Holland hit uh, Jacare in, in like a weird transition scramble, but there was so much power coming from such an odd position that you're like, dude, if how, how do you, how were you able to generate that when we've seen multiple people who were experts on the ground and ground and pound not be able to generate power or maybe even never thought to strike from that position. Right. But just to be able to pull that out in that timing, in that transition, in that scramble, and have that much kinetic energy behind it, just put them down. I mean, that was one of the best knockouts of the evening because I think it caught everybody off guard. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it definitely caught me off guard because you usually expect fighters to pass and then they start trying to get the ground and pound. But it just happened so quickly. It was almost like when Demetrius Johnson get the takedown right into the armbar. It just happened yes. just like that, right? It's one of those one of those instances where the transition is just so smooth. You just have to give out the respect, right? Ola Jacek yeah. with really really good transition skills there. Um, you know, I think Brundage, if he was not as aggressive and kind of focused on the control a little bit more, he would have been able to stay a little bit safe. But wrestlers don't know how to be on their back, and I think that was a, probably a big issue for him as is he still has to learn how to be and play off his back. So um, a learning experience for him, but dominant performance for Ola Jacek. Well, and that, uh, speaking as somebody who has never done mixed martial arts but did do, um, was a state wrestler in high school, I can tell you, I can only imagine how uncomfortable wrestlers are on their back when they're, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to learn jujitsu, you're trying to learn how to be comfortable, but you spent X amount of years training to never, ever be on your back, never give up your shoulders. And so the one time where you're like in a sport where like even WWE, you can't be on your back. You know what I mean? Like, so you, now you're, you're transitioning into a sport where you're like, okay, this is okay. You are allowed to feel comfortable here. I know that that's not something you can just break like that. So uh, that and that probably did because because you feel weak, and that's where the difference between obviously, as you know, this as jujitsu and, and wrestling come. Jujitsu, you're extremely you want to be on your back, you know, and uh, wrestling you don't. So I think it's interesting for somebody who dedicated most of their life to wrestling, like you said, to have that weird tinge of uncomfortability still. In something that we we all agree as fight fans, you, you should be comfortable with. But you know, tra- you know, feel it. How we feel as fans are not the same way how fighters feel, especially when they train most of their lives for all this. You know what I mean? Putting in ten thousand hours in one thing, you know, it's hard to just break that right there. Um, moving on to uh, two of my more favorite fights of the evening. 
I'm going to start with Kazaris, and then we're going to end with Bobby Green and Drew, Drew Dober, okay? So Alex Kazaris versus uh, Juliana Rosa. Uh, great fight. Um, maybe maybe knockout of the night. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, Bruce Leroy came out here and did something that was extremely unorthodox to get the KO. And even you could even hear Felder and Cruz uh, on, on the commentary talking about just how he was able to, one, stay so calm, and two, throw a high kick so late after a missed left jab. Um, you know, what was your takeaway from that? I, I thought it was a, a pretty solid fight, but uh, Alex Cazares looked comfortable from start to finish. And I thought it was funny that in his post-fight fight, post fight conference, he said, I'm never – I wasn't comfortable. I was scared, but I had to act confident, you know, and even when you're not confident – be honorable. Uh, I thought that was a really cool quote. It really kind of gave you into the mind of, you know, his name is Bruce Leroy. And if you ever listen to old tapes of Bruce Lee, just being the most Zen motherfucker that anybody's ever, you know, listened to. Um, I thought it was funny that that's what he had to say because the, the shot and the knockout that he pulled off against Rosa was, was actually very impressive. Yeah. I mean, without ruining awards for the night, man, that was probably, that was for me, the best one. Like, the delay for that punch to the left high kick was absolutely impressive. And the way he was able to not only, you know, do that, you talk about how Kevin Holland was able to generate power off his back and, and knock out Jacare, right? This was kind of something similar, but not off his back, but he was able to like miss and then reload with the hip with that high kick in almost like a question mark way and just like flick it up in the right way, right to Arosa. And just the setup almost seemed intentional. It almost seemed like he missed the punch intentionally, knowing where Rosa's head was going to be, and just followed with a kick with the delay. Um, the fight over. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. You're good. Go ahead. Oh yeah. So the fight as a whole, I mean, it was a lot. You know, it was two guys tall as just super tall. First of all, to be fighting yeah. at that division, right? Six one versus five eleven. Um, and you know, so they both started off with just a lot of kicks, and then as soon as you know, they started to just throw a little bit of hands. Like we just said, right? That that jab, you know, missed quote unquote, but he followed it beautifully with that left high kick. And Erosa was stumbling for minutes after that one. That kick had a lot of power, and I think it really caught him off guard. And they always say the shots you don't see are the ones that were hurt the most. I don't yeah. think Erosa saw this one coming. I think he would, felt like he was safe after he slipped out of that way of the jab, and that kick came from nowhere. And I, I think you know, best knockout of the night for me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. I think it almost after watching the replay over and over and over again, and and knowing that Cazares has done this before, not necessarily getting the knockout, but that's a strike he likes to throw. It almost made me think that not that he missed the first punch on purpose, but it was not the the punch wasn't the pinnacle of the of the strike. It was hey, I'm gonna throw maybe a significant but slightly lazy jab. So he does miss to set up the high head kick. Um, now, I have no idea if that's what he did. He didn't allude to that at all. I'm sure he probably didn't throw a lazy kick, but you I mean, or throw a lazy punch. But you just never know. When you when you watch it, 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 was, it almost missed by such a margin to put, uh, to put uh, Arosa's head perfectly in the position for his leg that you're like, I could see you setting that up in a way where, um, you know, you 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 make Arosa think that he got the best of you on a on a juke, and then boom, you know what I mean. So 
I'd be interested if, if they pressed him on that. I'd be like, did you set that up on purpose, or was that just a a one-two you throw normally, hoping one of them's gonna land? Yeah, um, to your point, I mean, it's one of those things you would think they would that a setup like that would come a lot later in the fight because you know usually you have to take some time to download your opponent's reads to see you know the, where are they slipping to where are they rolling to how are they trying to avoid your punch right you're gonna have to try to punch where they're going to be and not where they are at right now so i think you know for him to make this read very early in the fight was just something that was really impressive for him i don't know if he did it on purpose you know or if that jab was like you said lazy on purpose or if he missed it on purpose but hey, it worked out, right? And if it works out, it doesn't matter how it happens. The dude, the dude got knocked out, and you won the fight at the end of the day. Yeah, no, no, it, uh, I don't care. I don't care. I guess whether it was either way, because it was the one of the cleanest knockouts all night. It was probably the sexiest if we're really going for it. But um, we're gonna get to the last fight. Uh, I think one of the best fights of the evening, and then we're gonna go ahead and run down our um, kind of our awards that we talked about, but I do want to give, want to give a shout out MMA shark fight bananas. Thank you guys so much for allowing me and John come on here, talk to you guys. Um, again, I know it's probably not the card. Everybody, you know, this wasn't one of the biggest cards of the year, but it's the last card of the year. And you know what? We're not going to be able to do this again until another, uh, 20 something days. So we might as well get to enjoy it while we do. And then John, I appreciate you being able to join me on this bad boy, brother. Yeah, appreciate you having me. And shout out to Dave, like you said, inviting me. And shout out to Fight Bananas, all you guys. Appreciate yeah. you guys uh, having us over here. For sure, for sure. So, uh, again, uh, lightweight fight of the night. Drew Dober versus Bobby Green. Whew, where to start? Um, Bobby Green looked fucking phenomenal, first off. Bobby Green looked, I mean, and I think the whole, it was one of my favorite fights because of, from start to finish, it was two guys giving it their all. Drew Dober has, uh, well, obviously Drew Dober gets the TKO win, um, ends up tying Dustin Poirier for most knockouts in lightweight history. That's pretty cool for somebody still in more of the, uh, not infancy, but the younger part of his career, I believe. And then Bobby Green Still looking, I mean, somebody who's fought in the UFC for quite a while, still, I mean, looking maybe the best I've seen him in quite a, I mean, he just continues to seem to get better and better and better each fight. And um, this was one where he was winning across the board, no doubt about it, and just happened to get caught when he was, I mean, he was putting on a Mike Tyson, Ali dodging spectacle up against the fence and just drew over, just happened to eat a, eat a punch or two stay in the pocket and deliver a hard left-handed blow. But that fight was awesome to watch from beginning to end and even afterwards while they're congratulating each other. Yeah, I I was just going to say that. Even after the fight, right, Bobby Green gets up and he's just like, no, no. And he's like, right, he's all the credit to to Drew Dober and he's hugging, he's talking about it, right? I mean, these are just two guys that love the sport and that have the respect, right? I mean, if you know about the story about Bobby Green and his coaches and the love that he has for those guys and the message that Bobby Green is always putting out, right? Just a really good guy overall. And Drew Dober, the same thing, right? One of those guys that is always just a high sportsmanship kind of guy, willing to take tough tights, like tough fights like we see with his call out for a 6'3 monster and Jalen Turner. But man, what a fight. Like you said, Bobby Green looked good. 
Obviously, he got beat by the champ in Islam in a short notice, but his fight against Nasrat was an absolutely amazing fight. And then this fight is even as well. Before he got knocked out, the way he was able to you know, slip those punches, shoulder roll, keep his hands down, and land a beautiful body kick multiple times as well, too. Like He was doing a lot of really good things in this fight, but ultimately, Drew Dober did what he did against Terrence McKinney, right? He was able to yeah. just take, eat a couple of shots, get inside just close enough so where one of those devastating hooks, he has the most knockouts tied with George Dustin Poirier in the division, one of those devastating hooks lands. And, you know, he put Bobby Green down and, you know, Bobby was able to come to you right after, but it was just enough power for him to put down a guy who's always cognizant. So it's really weird to see one of those guys get knocked out like that. But um, shout out to, like you said, Drew Dober, man. This was a hell of a fight. He went through hell and back to get this knockout. All right, I uh, I want to do these awards, and my computer is about to die. So, John, go ahead and give your monologues, plug anything you need to. I'll be right back. All right. All right, so make sure you guys, as always, you know, subscribe, like the video if you guys are watching live. It helps us out. Make sure you guys subscribe as well. Make sure you guys follow Fight Bananas on all the Instagrams. The It's Twitter. It's on everything else. You see Blake. He has his twitter handle or instagram handle over here at gingerpants29 make sure you follow him make sure you follow me on twitter at three piece combo or you can follow me on instagram at number three piece combo as well now as far as tonight goes you know i want to thank you guys for uh, for having me obviously fight day thanks dave fight bananas this is the last mma card for the year we have a nice upcoming one for next year um starting us off you know with the UFC or going into the ufc next year it's going to be incredible i think um, 2023 is setting up to be really nice. I mean, the early pay-per-views for that one, right? This fight they just set up uh, with Glover getting another shot at the title. That's going to be nice. And we're going to see the fourth fight against Figueredo and Moreno. And then in the second pay-per-view of the year, we have Islam Mahashev taking on uh, the 145-pound king himself. So that's going to be going – that's like another great fight. Um, but, man – 2023 is looking to start off hot with the pay-per-views that UFC is lining up. And Blake is back with the computer charger. What's going on, my man? Boom. Sorry about that. Very unprofessional of me, but thought I had enough to kick it. But you and I obviously are having too much of a good time. So it uh, went a little longer than I thought. But that's okay. I'm out of breath now. But <laughs> uh, no, I'm. do you have a uh, – before we get to our awards, do you have a – unless you already mentioned it. What's your – as of right now, of what's planned? What is kind of your – go-to watch list for most anticipated fight oh for next year um i mean i would for number one for me it, it's gonna have to be the islam super fight right i mean that's just volkanovsky versus islam i, I love Volk volko personally i mean i'm a shorter guy i'm 5 8 and i weigh about the same probably not when he's done cutting or done refueling but i weigh about the same as in when they fight that 145 so it's like man Volkanovski, just the way he's able to was able to develop his skills. You know, the first fight against Max Holloway, obviously, I'm a huge Max fan. Um, and I, I didn't think he won the first fight, but he was able to come back and he was able to get the win. And just him able to developing his skills, just becoming an absolute dominant champion and champion at 145. I think if anybody has the skills to match up with Islam, just fight IQ wise, I think fight IQ, he has the potential to to really maybe pull off an upset there obviously it's going to be in an international setting so it's going to be an exciting arena uh but man i think volkanovsky is going to have a hell of a tough time to beat islam but i do think his fight iq is the separating factor in that fight 
So I am really looking forward to, um, I don't know, I'm not really sure why, but I think every time these two step in the ring or the, the cage, they just, I mean, they go for blood, <clears throat> but they're also two very respectful opponents. And that is going to be Figueredo versus Moreno. Um, and I might be a little biased. Uh, Brandon Moreno actually did. I, I don't believe he still does. Um, but did train out here. I'm based in Kansas City. I know John's out in uh, you're out in Florida. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, Moreno came into Kansas City and was training out at Glory MMA and got a chance to meet him. And it was just he was extremely nice. One, uh, two. Every time him and Figueroa get together, I mean, it is it comes down to a decision. It comes down to a war. It comes down to something where you're like, dude. I can watch you guys fight a hundred times and never get tired of it. So I think that's one of my, uh, I say most anticipated. It's one of the ones that I'm very excited for. Right. Obviously as the year goes on, there's going to be ones that I'm going to get way more jacked up for. I'm jacked, John. I'm jacked to the tits, buddy. Uh, but no, there's the, I want to see Izzy get his title back, man. I'm an Israel Adesanya stan. I want to see Izzy get his title back. And, And I want to, I want to see his game evolve because <clears throat> the big problem that I've seen is Izzy per, uh, Alex Pereira came in with a, a different evolution of a game that Izzy isn't prepped for. I want to see how Izzy responds. I want to see, can Izzy change his game? I don't want to see you continue to be a point fighter. I want to see you end up being a finisher. And yeah, you've been able to, I mean, you finished Paulo Costa. You, you, you know, you did a couple of, I want to see you evolve into an even better fighter, but you're already one of the greatest. And the other one, the third, I think we can all look forward for, is Mr. John fucking Bones Jones, baby. Oh, hell yeah. I want to see John Jones come in this bad boy. Because, so when I first got into the sport, it was it was when John was really rising. Um, Chuck Liddell got me into the sport when I was young. Then I then I went away for quite a while. Then I came back, and it was John Jones and Daniel Cormier. That was like the beat. Mm. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. These two dudes are freaking killers. You got an Olympian versus a guy who comes from a lineage of, of family members who are just absolute studs, Athlete. from Chandler Jones to Arthur Jones to John Jones. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't even know that, that his two brothers play in the NFL. Or play right. in the NFL. Um, and he just happened to be the – essentially the goat i mean i don't think there's a real big argument on is john jones the greatest of all time i mean there probably is for some people but to me from what i was able to see when i got into the sport and knowing the history and respecting the history of you know guys like anderson silva john st pierre all those guys dude he's the goat so what i would love to see his return this year or i guess next year (laughs) no for sure and i mean him versus francis that is if they're yeah. if that's the fight they're able to put together, that's one of the biggest fights in UFC history. One hundred percent. Francis touches um, John Jones; he's going to sleep. But John Jones is one of those guys that has the skill to avoid that a lot, right? He has that oblique kick that he's able to utilize really yeah. well to create distance. I want to see what a bigger John Jones looks like. Uh, unfortunately for me, I got in the sport when Israel Adesanya was making his rise, so I was a little bit after. When you are so that's why I love Israel Adesanya. So um, I do want to see the same thing as well. I want to see him go back to what got him to the dance. Right, he was finishing guys. He was finishing the Brunsons. He was finishing you know other you know the Paulo Costas. He was finishing guys before, but now, like you said, 
kind of become a little bit of a point fighter, kind of became a little comfortable yeah. with just being that middleweight champion. So I think now that he has to be forced to become a little uncomfortable, and he took the loss in stride, so I want to give a shout-out to him for that. I think I want to see him develop that, but he was able to get his first takedown in the UFC in his last fight against Al. I, by the way, I call that. I definitely call did that. that. Did, you really, and, did, you, did you put money on it? I did, I did not put money on that, but I should have for sure. Um, but I want to see that him develop that as well, right? I want to see him become a better mixed martial artist too. I want to see yeah. him. He talked about the grappling game against, you know, Paulo Costa when they had that whole thing happening, right? I want to see him utilize the grappling a little bit more. You know, he was able to get this first takedown. Okay, start doing a little bit more. Let's see what you can do, you know, in those positions and actually be able to win those positions a little bit better. Uh, but to your point, man, I want to see a heavyweight John Jones. Um, yes. I think when he's in the sport, it's just better because controversy gets clicks and that's all, you know, and it's John Jones is one of the most controversial athletes out there, right? Whether you love him or whether you hate him, you have an opinion on John Jones. Yeah. So that's why I think if he comes back and he's able to win the heavyweight title, man, you can't, de you definitely, there's no argument at that point, right? Yeah. I think right now there's a couple of arguments and I think obviously with the PEDs and the stuff like that, it's, it's tougher, right? But the MMA is a sport where it's all up to interpretation because, you know, there's people that say, you know, like you said, John Jones is the GOAT. And I think when it comes to the actual fights that he's had, I mean, the title defenses he's had, the only loss he's really had was a disqualification, you know, so he really hasn't taken a loss. So you can really compare his career to Habib's, right, where it's just dominant. I think if Habib was able to sit down and defend that belt a lot longer than the arguments there, but like now you said the Jones is it's just an argument. That's always the uh the, the good thing about MMA is that it's open to interpretation. Well, and, and really if just to even go down this road real quick, and, and this is probably a an ongoing um argument for most uh UFC uh fans and whatnot, but I think if you really look at John's career and Khabib's career, because I, I don't think anybody who knows that loss that John Jones had. It was a disqualification versus on a move that really probably shouldn't. I mean, he was. What about me? What about me? He was beating the brakes off of somebody and Himmel. called for an illegal move. Yeah. Okay. It it was it, it really shouldn't be illegal. Uh, there's a there's a whole lot to back that up. But then you look at the litany of people that he's faced. Two times Daniel Cormier. The the multiple gust of sins. I mean the lit the list of who John Jones has beaten goes on and on and on. And really when you look, compare that to somebody like Khabib, I think the argument is, is that Khabib didn't face as many prime people before he was 21 and 0. You know what I yeah, mean? He got fair. to 21 and 0 and then he was like, okay, I get, I'll take Justin Poirier. I'll take McGregor. Um, kind of a, a little older McGregor. Um, I'll take a couple other people, but then I'm going to retire. And John Jones was like, give me everybody. And I became the champ at 23. And then, the, you know, then what? Yeah. So, um, no, it's just I, we, we could go all day on that because that that would be uh, – I'm, I'm excited. I'm, 2023 for the UFC and mixed martial arts is going to be awesome. Um, yeah, moving on, John, to our awards of the evening. And uh, I don't know if you want you want to go first, if you want me to go first. I figured we're going to start – off um only because this is a very easy answer bloodiest fight of the night for you um the cheyenne bays fight i think that was the bloodiest fight the bloodiest 
Yes, um, I think that was that was the one, right? The two females definitely went. No, I'm just totally kidding. Obviously, <laughs> it was the Mahashate versus the Garcia fight, man. Like like I said in the in, earlier in the video, the dude had a busted artery on top of his head, and it took the UFC doctors two hours to close that before to stop bleeding. Like so, he was bleeding for two more hours on on in the back of the yeah. like in their in their performance center before they were able to stop that man. What a great fight! I'm a I know David is, and I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. That reminded me of John Cena versus JBL, the I quit match back in the day, man. Yes. John Cena was absolutely bloodied all over the place. Yes. Garcia doing the same thing and winning the fight as well. So shout out to Garcia for even though out getting his artery cut, like, dude survived. Shout out to that dude. Obviously, same answer. Um, <laughs> you had me going there at first. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, no, the fact that he cut an artery in his head and then didn't, like, suffer repercussions from being lightheaded during the middle of the fight, that was maybe even more uh, of a champion move than just bleeding in general because it's like, dude, how are you not getting – you were spewing blood. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of really – awesome nasty knockdown drag out gritty bar fights this year but that was gross that was gross <laughs> yeah that was that was really bloody and like you said it was it wasn't just like leaking it was squirting like i sent yes. like we talked about how we were, we were messing each other i sent you the video of the squirting onto the mat like we saw the blood literally leaving his skull going onto the mat so yeah this was a, a bloody fight and i loved it i'm all here for the violence uh, all right, we only had one of the evening, but it was gonna be a sub of the night. But obviously, since we only had one, um, I'm assuming we're both gonna go with uh, Saeed and Saeed. Yeah, Saeed definitely got that uh, got that hey. sub of the night, man. He pulled it out of nowhere, you know. There you go. Was was getting was getting out grappled, and then all of a sudden, um, decided to pull a guillotine out of nowhere. Kind of like uh, Randy Orton. Do what? Uh, like Randy Orton with an RKO out of nowhere. He pulled out a geese. Out of nowhere. Um, all right. So now last two of the evening, we can either go fight of the night or KO of the night. Which one would you like to start? With? Let's start off with KO, KO of the night. KO of the night. Uh, Mr. John, what do you got? You know, um, I think I'm going to still go with Alex Bruce Luke, Leroy Caceres. Um, I just think that was – technically one of the prettiest finishes of the night right obviously we have the slobber knockers for the night but man that that was just such a pretty setup and the the uniqueness of the strike is why i'm gonna give it to bruce leroy alex caceres and this is what message was great yes no i i uh i'm in 100 agreement i thought that the alex caceres knockout was it was so unique and clean um, the way he was able to set it up, again, don't know if he missed a punch on purpose to set up the leg kick to do the head feint, or if that was just a, a combo that he works on quite a bit. Either way, it was unorthodox. It was sexy. He And then, again, his post-fight his post fight message, he, he was so calm um, that it was almost kind of scary, but, like, in a very calming, zen type of way. You're like, this, is, this guy is an actual ninja. Like, he's literally – Bruce Leroy, <laughs> you know? Like he just knocked him out, and he's just chilling, like, neutral right now. Yeah. Uh, a close second for me, um, only because I want to give the award to somebody else, but uh, Albaziz versus Costa, I thought that uppercut was nasty. Ooh, yeah. And the way he was able to crumble him the way he was, um, Albaziz, that, I, thought that was a, I thought that was another good KO of the evening. 
Yeah, that almost reminded me of like um, Gervonta Davis, Leo Santa Cruz, that uppercut that just kind of caught him and then twisted his neck a little bit sideways too, right? Yeah, so it just put him right down. Like you said, for a, for a guy in that in the 125-pound division for to set up those kind of strikes, he did it really well. He was able to um, just use that jab and use it in a different manner, right? He dropped him with the double or the jab right hand in the second round, and this time it was a jab uppercut. So uh, just great setups from Amir Abdelazi or not? What's his Albazi? Amir Habazi, oh, wrong guy. <laughs> Amir Habazi. <laughs> um, but yeah, this that was a that was a very pretty setup as well. That was a good one. And then if we're going fight of the night, uh, we both got the same answer here, brother. I, well, so we might. So, Mister John Ramnakan, you go first. I gotta go with Dober versus Green Man. Just from from the walkout, you know, from the walkout till till the post fight, just it was the most enjoyable fight of the night for me, right? Because you know it was one of those fights where, like you said, Bobby Green was just you know finessing the entire fight, you know, using the strikes from the waist that we only see Bobby Green do, the shoulder rolls, you know, slipping the punches. He was doing a really good job, but Drew Dober, man, just showing what he's able to do and weather that storm. And you know, shout out to him for picking up and tying that record with. Dustin Poirier for most knockouts yes. in the lightweight division um, because it just shows the type of fighter that he is. He's an exciting fighter and win or lose, you know, Drew Dober is going to bring the heat. So I agree with you, but I actually think that there should be two fights of the night um, because I believe the way both of them went down. My first one was Dober versus green. I thought green looked fantastic. I mean, he looked, I mean, you even heard Drew Dober say, he's like, dude, you're fast as fuck. <laughs> he said, dude, you are fast. He said, and you, he said, uh, I was trying to fight a clean fight, or I was trying to fight a mistake-free fight. And he said, you were mistake-free for eight and a half minutes, <laughs> is what Dober said to uh, said to Green. But my follow-up one was, I, I do believe that the Dvorak uh, versus Cape fight. Yeah. Um, I thought that uh, Manel Cop, I mean, that fight was a great back and forth. You weren't really sure. You know, you thought it was going to be Cop at first. Then you thought Dvorak was going to get back in it. Then eventually uh, Cop took the decision at the end. But I thought that fight overall was a great display of a mixture of martial arts. Like, I thought, I just thought it was a great, like, I was like, dude, this is the second fight of the night. 12 versus 9. Big implications here. Cop ends up getting the win as the 12 spot, I believe. Yes, he was the 12, so he moves up in the rankings. Um, that fight, in my opinion, should have been up up higher on the prelims, but I was like, damn, that's that one was the one that stuck out to me. Then when I saw uh, Drew Dober versus Green, I was like, damn, okay, now I really have a decision to make. At the end of the day, I couldn't make one. I was like, God, they're both so good because I didn't think Drew Dober's performance was great. I thought his knockout was good. Fair. Green looked like the better fighter. In this one, Cop looked like the better fighter, but Dvorak, I mean, it was kind of a similar but different. Um, I thought Dvorak was more evenly matched with Cop, and Dober really just caught green. But either way, they were both super interesting fights. So I have to give a toss-up. Both of them, in my opinion, give, give them both that 50K, Dana. Give them that 50K! Give them all the 50K. First of all, fight, oh, yeah. the fighter pay, man. These fighters yeah. need to get paid more. They shouldn't be begging for a car. Like, when have you ever seen an NFL player or an NBA player be like, hey, pay me more. I need to buy a car. Like, my car broke down. So yeah. give these guys their money, man. Shout out to that. Um, but, yeah, man, to your point, like, when it comes to, like, the fight, like, this was 
that was probably the more one of the more like definitely for me number two as far as exciting fights um definitely shouldn't have been the second fight unless they're trying to obviously draw viewers in but yeah. man that that's a really good fight like 12 versus 9 that's a fight that you should put in like the feature prelim bout or the first to start off you know the the main card like that's one of those kind of fights i think that was a little disrespectful in my opinion but you know they they really showed out you know and manel cop after having a couple of like we talked about lackluster performances in his entrance to the ufc he's really showing what he yeah. can become well, and they so technically they did do another twelve versus nine in Armand versus uh, Ismagulov, but uh, just different, you know, different weight classes. But uh, they they did kind of try to. I think that could have been what it was. Maybe they were trying to draw people in because as soon as I saw that fight on the schedule, I was like, well, I better not. Now, obviously, you and I, being the pros that we are, we don't miss the prelims. Right, prelims all day. But for the casual fan, that would have been one where if you were paying attention, you'd have been like, oh. I better start watching it a little bit early. I'd like to see that fight. That's, those are two good fighters. Um, and it did not disappoint at all. Again, like I said, my toss-up for uh, tied for fight of the night. Give them all money. Give them all money, baby. Shout out to Fighter Pay. Uh, again, thank you so much to my co-host, John Ron Lacan. You guys can go find him at th- – yeah, go ahead, buddy. Before I cut you off, let's play one more game, right? Let's play yeah, guess the bonus. Because now I have the bonuses in front of me. I'm not sure if you do or not. So oh, don't look do? it up. Let's, play, let's play guess the bonus. We got two performance bonuses and we got one fight of the night. So go ahead. Okay. What do you think the fight of the night was? Yeah, what do you think, think the two bonuses the, were? I think fight of the night went to Bobby Green and Drew Dover. Yep. Okay. Um, performances of the night, I think one went to Alex Caceres. Correct. And I think the other performance of the night went to Alden Jacek. Yeah, look at you. Three oh. for three. Three Let's for go. three. There Let's you go. go. So, yeah, you I got it right. Bobby Green drew Dover with the fight of the night. Once you said it like that, I was like, ah, I bet it's something weird. Because I had him uh, for performance. I had him down here, but I I uh, went went above and beyond it. So I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to go with that. But he was on my list for, like, somebody who just came out and dominated. So I was like, ah, maybe Dana wants to – Surprise somebody who's a little younger. Yeah, so yeah. those are the three. Those are the three. You got them all right, bro. Fuck yeah, let's go, baby. First night together. Got them all right already. Dude, why do we make such a good team, John? I don't know. We're great. We're just great. We just are. I don't know what I don't know what it is. Thank, thanks, Dave. Thanks for setting this up. <laughs> We're so great. Um anyway, that's gonna do it. Really. Any uh, any final wrap-ups for Fight Bananas post-fight show? End of the year. Uh, 2022 is finally in the books. Does Mr. John Ron Lacan have any final words for the fans? And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys next year. Hey, make sure you guys all have a safe holidays. Make sure you guys, you know, enjoy the times with your families. Be safe with you guys. But shout out to 2022. What a year of some incredible fights, some incredible upsets. The things that we saw this year was amazing. You know, so thankful to be an MMA fan. Thankful for Dave and Fight Bananas again for having me on. Thank you again, Blake, for for being an amazing host as well. And like I said, thank everybody in the audience for joining us live here tonight. Yeah, John, again, thank you for joining me. Uh, Again, want to give a big shout out to Fight Bananas. Dave Van Auken uh, runs the Dave Van Auken show. If you guys have not, I mean, I don't know why you'd be listening to this show if you haven't heard of that show, but you never know how the internet works. So uh, we appreciate you guys joining us. Um, Yes, you only saw me on the last two of this year. Uh, Previously, you saw me during the regular season, but... 
Next year, we're coming back with a vengeance, baby, and it's going to be on. Hopefully, we might have some new graphics. Who knows? I mean, we, I, who knows what we're going to be doing? Maybe I, maybe I have a theme for each show. It just depends, man. I've got, I got a lot of ideas cooking up here. I'm sure John's going to be joining me, um, if not all the time, most of the time, hopefully. So, um, but yeah, thank you guys so much. And then another, again, another shout out to MMA Shark, Paul over there, MMA Shark. Go follow him. Um, MMA betting, MMA, MMA previews, does all of that good stuff over there. But for uh, for 2022 and Fight Bananas, uh, we're out.